So John chapter 18, we'll begin reading in verse number 28. When you are found your place, if you are able and willing, I would invite you to stand with us and we'll reference the reading of the word of the Lord. John chapter number 18 and in verse 28, the word of the Lord says, Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early. Now when it says it's early, that means it actually was early into the next morning. (coughs) The night had just about gone by this point, and it was early into the next day. And they themselves, this is the religious men, they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but they that they might eat the Passover. Now I'm going to show you how religion operates this morning. They're just about to try to kill Jesus, but they think if they walk into that hall of Pilate where the Gentiles are, they will be defiled and they won't be qualified to be pure to eat the Passover. I want to tell you something. Your coming to church this morning does not absolve you of going out this afternoon and living like the devil and doing like the world. And your religious shivalets will not erase all of the mischief that is in your life. And it will not be sufficient for you to just sin to beat the band and then quote 1 John 1.9. Get a Jesus wafer put on your tongue and squirt it with the holy water from the priest who is social distancing and think that everything is going to be alright. It will not be enough to shake the preacher's hand and to come to church and then go, up, go ahead with whatever mischief you have going on. They sought to kill Jesus. But they fought by not entering into Pilate's house and coming in contact with the Gentiles that they would remain ceremonially clean. When their hearts were as dirty as a dog. When their lives were filthy and rotten and filled with uh, malice and envy and strife and hatred. And they were doing Satan's work and had the mindset of Antichrist. And yet they thought by doing some religious liturgical activity that they would maintain cleanliness before God. Cleanliness is not in religion. You are not answerable to your church, sir. You're not answerable to religion. You're answerable to God Almighty. Then the Bible, and I'm not preaching about that, but since I'm here, I've got to say something about it or I'll miss it. Verse number 29, Pilate then went out unto them. Notice he, during the whole whole time, he has to go out to them to get information to come back because they won't come in there lest they be defiled. Pilate went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. You notice they've already got the they've already got the end game set up. They have already arrived at the conclusion and the court case has not even started. The sentence has been determined before the process has even begun. We would have tried him according to our law, but we can't kill him according to our law, and we want him dead. 
and yet they're still social distancing out on the porch thinking that's going to keep them safe from being corrupt of any sort of uh, uh, Gentile germ that might make them impossible to celebrate the Lord's Supper or the Passover. What a shame and what a disgrace. That is verse number 32, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which He spake consignifying what death He should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? You can be seated this morning. Thank you for standing with us while we read the word of the Lord. I want to preach this morning from chapter 18 and actually into as well in chapter 19 about this court case of Christ before Pilate as he has been delivered by Caiaphas and the high priest unto Pilate seeking that he would receive the death penalty. And I specifically want to look at the questions that Pilate asks of Jesus and realizing this morning that Jesus does not answer these questions but leaves them open unto us. For in truth, these questions that are asked of Jesus by Pilate are questions that you must answer today. Questions that I must answer today. Questions that we must answer to as he has been asked in this message and in this court case today. There are five of them specifically that we will cover in the message this morning. First one is in verse number 29. When they ask, what accusation bring ye against this man? Verse number 33, are you the king, art thou the king of the Jews? Verse number 38, when Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? Number 4 is in chapter 19 in verse number 9, whence art thou? And then question 5 is in chapter 19 verse 15, shall I crucify your king? Or as Matthew's gospel says, what shall I then do with Jesus which is called Christ? Now what we are looking at today in our portion of Scripture is the most infamous day in the history of mankind. This is the most perfidious act that, that man has ever performed. Write that one down, Brother Randy. I brought you one today. Perfidious. The most perfidious act, that means traitorous or treasonous or deceptive or lying or dishonest. This is the most perfidious act that man has ever performed. This is the ugliest sin that has ever happened on planet earth. This is the day when man sought to kill God. Yet from this deepest sin of the ugly heart of wicked men, God would bring deliverance to all those who would believe on His precious name. In this court of mockery and cruelty, Pilate asked some pointed questions of our Lord Jesus that you and I must also answer. These questions embody the entire scope of life. They are heart questions and they are hard questions. They involve your response to the most important being in the universe. Had the Jews tried not to answer these by staying out of the court in verse 28, but in eternity before God there will be no escape. And in conviction of the Holy Spirit in this world, you cannot escape in answering these questions in your heart. Pontius Pilate did not choose this. He didn't want this interview. He did not desire this confrontation or this court case with this man called Jesus the Galilean. Oh, my friend, but providence brought him here. God had placed him in a 
position to choose. And my friend, this morning, you will face the questions when God so chooses it. Some of you are here today for that very purpose. God will confront you in the message this morning, in this church service today, in the Sunday school hour earlier, in the singing, He has confronted you with the reality of who Jesus is and your requirement to make a choice about Him. Hey, you didn't choose this. God did. You didn't decide this. The Lord did. He has confronted you. Jesus has been brought before you. Hey, you are presented today with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah of glory, the Christ of God. And you must decide what must be done with this man called Jesus. You say, I'm strong. I'll make no decision. I do not have to listen to God nor to anyone else. I'm powerful. I'm intellectual. I'm analytical. I have my own will, Pontius Pilate. He's not some some moderate of some kind. He's not some vacillating politician as most preachers preach about him to be. He was not weak, but he was powerful. He tended toward an iron fist. He was not afraid to execute, to slay, to wipe out a village, to maintain Pax Romana. Pax Romana was the law of the day. Pax Romana. That means the peace of Rome or Roman peace. Oh, my friend, and it was achieved by absolute Roman rule. The old saying is that Rome was not built in a day. But it was built by killing everybody who disagreed with their position. Pilate was not the kind of person to be easily swayed or easily convinced. He was a powerful man. He was a powerful Roman ruler. He was willing to do anything to maintain that Roman peace. Pax Romana. My friend, he was there because Rome determined him able to keep. My friend, the insurrections in Israel under control. He was so influential in Rome that they changed the rules concerning Roman rulers to allow his wife to travel with him to Israel while he ruled for 10 years in that little province of Israel. That place gave the Roman Empire more trouble than anywhere else on the globe did. I mean all over the world this powerful iron fist of Rome ruled. Really I would suppose you could say it's the iron foot of Rome. The iron legs of Rome. If you'll remember the statue in the book of Daniel have been dwelling on that. I do believe that it is the most profound vision that God ever gave to any human being was given to a heathen king named Nebuchadnezzar. And my friend, these uh, these Babylonians Babylonians have given way to meet in Persians, meet in Persians, uh, to Greeks and Greeks to Romans. Uh, And the iron legs of Rome uh, would give way to the feet of iron and clay in our day. And this is the generation of Gentile rulers, the world system. And the world system, we see a clash of it taking place here. The world system has risen up against God. And the world's ruler stands face to face and toe to toe with God's Christ. And my friend, the root of the religious people of the day side with the system of the world. They say we have no king but Caesar. They deny the only Lord Jesus and embrace the Caesar of this world. False religion intermingles. How with the legs of iron becoming iron and clay? 
And my friend, false religion always has and always will. For man's religion has more in common with man than what it has with God. Oh, God, help us. And I can't preach another sermon on that statue this morning, but mark her down. One day Jesus will not come as a meek and quiet man in a courthouse. But the next time He will smite feet of clay and that stone that was hewn out of the mountain will fill the whole earth. It'll tear down the Gentile kingdoms of the world. Woo! And Christ will rule and reign. Art thou a king? Oh yes, He's a king. Oh yes, He's a king, my friend. Hallelujah. This day, my, this man, this man, Pilate faced a new challenge. He was there with his wife ten years to rule over Israel and that little slip of land uh, that is a land bridge, really, that connects one continent with another. Uh, at that little place that gave the Roman Empire more trouble than any other place in the world did, more insurrections, more battles, more troubles uh, than anywhere else. But this day, Pilate faced a new challenge. Arrival king stood before him but a rival king didn't really frighten him he had seen that before what frightened him is that this new king also was declared to be the son of God Pilate had stood nose to nose with kings before Pilate had stood before royalty before Pilate had stood toe to toe with the best that the Roman Empire had to offer before he had heard about gods in Mount He had heard about gods of the battles and of the moon and of the sun and of the stars. But he had never stood face to face with a god. He had never stood face to face with a potentate. He knew nothing about looking eye to eye with the sign of God. And a new new challenge frightened him that day. His wife Claudia was tormented in a dream about this man. And my friend and she said have nothing to do with him. I've suffered many things tonight in a dream because of this man. Have nothing to do with him. And a trembling before him Pilate who looks like a potentate and a powerful man. And my friend a strong politician and not a vacillating leader who realizes he's in the presence of someone who has authority beyond him. And he walks on eggshells around the Lord Jesus and he fears and he trembles before the very Son of God Almighty. Oh, my friend, and he knows not what to do that day, but he has some questions to find out what he's facing when he looks in the eyes of Jesus. The Romans believed in many gods, but he had never faced one and looked him in the eye. But seeing God face to face, he asked some questions that demand an answer. And so we'll look at these questions this morning. First of all, he asked the question in verse number 29. What accusation bring ye? Verse 29. What accusation bring ye against this man? They said if he was not a malefactor, we wouldn't have brought him to you. He's a troublemaker. He is. He's altogether wrong. They had their own 
own kangaroo court. They had their own kangaroo court in the court of Caiaphas. And false witnesses came against Jesus. And one would testify against him than another would. That their testimony did not agree one with the other. And they would give false accounts and their accounts would disagree. You see, the question is, why is he here as a criminal? What did he do wrong? And what sin is there in this man this past week, the idiot that moderates the show in the evening on CNN, otherwise known as the Communist News Network. That idiot, the moron, known as Don Lemon, has told us that, that Jesus, in his words, Jesus, when he was here in this world, admittedly was not perfect. Got news for you, Mr. Lemon. Jesus never admitted to not being perfect. And anybody that believes this Bible believes, and it believes in the Jesus that this Bible believes, and a Jesus that was perfect. I mean, what accusation will you bring against this man? And what is there wrong with him? They had to spat on him. They had beaten him. How will the lictors lash? Has my friend almost dead, cursed, spat in his face, but he had done nothing amiss? Their accusations were false and did not agree. Hear me, the best of men in human history are flawed. That Jesus was perfect. Jesus was perfect. That Jesus was perfect. And if Jesus was not perfect, then He is not our Savior this morning. If He's not perfect, He cannot save you nor me. The other men that were crucified on Calvary were thieves, but he had not stolen anything. Barabbas was a murderer, but Jesus did no murder. Jesus did no assault. Jesus performed no deception. Jesus had done no evil act. I mean, what has he done? What has he done this morning? Someone show me one eye that he has made blind. Show me one leg that he has made lame. Show me one mother's son that he put on a battlefield and had him rammed through with a bayonet or a sword. Oh no, friend, Jesus Christ stands alone in the course of history as the only perfect man. By the way, what has he ever done to you? As far as I know, he's never done me anything but good. He ain't never done me nothing. Done me nothing but good, good, good. Has he ever hurt you? Has he ever done evil? evil to you. I think this morning of all the wrongs that I have done. I think of all the imperfections in my life. I think about all the times that I have failed Him. And yet, my friend, I'm still breathing air on planet Earth. And yet His mercies are new towards me every morning. And His grace is adequate to save my soul and keep me until the day of redemption. I say, bless the Lord. He is altogether He's perfect in every way. Oh, what accusation bring against him? Pilate looked at him, and before he got done, he said, I'll find no fault in him. Y'all say what you want about him. There's nothing wrong with this man. Woo! Oh, bless his name. He's the only one that's holy and holy forevermore. 
holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was, which is, and which is to come, the Almighty. Oh, bless His sweet name. Oh, He has given the opportunity for all to be saved. Oh, I hear the accusation cast against Him by the unbeliever. The unbeliever says the problem with Jesus is, had a man told me this many years ago, the problem with Jesus is He interferes in your life. The problem with Jesus is He interferes in your life. You know what I have to say about that? interferes in your life. You know what he does? He shows up in the fellows on the bar stool and says, I believe I'll have another drink. And the Holy Ghost shows up and Jesus interferes and says there's more to life than this. <laughs> Woo-hoo! I tell you, whatever there is, I found that everything and it's wrong and they're headed to hell on a one-way sled and Jesus shows up and he interferes in their life. And the addict has a swallowed pills to the lining of his stomach. See, now he's put needles in every corner and crevice of his body till he can't find a place to inject. He thinks his life is not worth living. But the God of glory interferes, shows up and changes his life. The man he up with religion and pride thinks everything's all right. He'll get to heaven by his own good works. But the holy God of heaven, my friend, has a head on collision. And with him, shows him his need to be saved, changes his life. I say, bless the Lord. Jesus interferes with your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) Woo! Bless the Lord, oh my soul. I'm glad 31 years ago he interfered. (laughs) Woo! Oh, praise his name. Hallelujah. Showed up when I was on my way to hell. And I'll never be the same again. Yes, he interferes. He interferes like the Father did when I was in Honduras many years ago. And that little baby girl, probably three years old, I couldn't understand what she was saying. I was speaking Spanish in the middle of the road, scared. Didn't know, seemed like she had lost sight of where her daddy was. And she's screaming in the middle of that little city street in San Pedro Sula. And she's crying terror in her face. How about a man comes right? out in the middle of the street and he swept her up in his arms and ran out of that busy highway with her and she wrapped her arms around his neck and she wept and she cried and she called him Papa. That's the way Jesus interferes in your life. I'm so glad he interfered just in time and saved me just in time. Oh yes, it's true he interferes. You say, but I don't want him to interfere in my life. Well, he won't. If you don't want him interfering, if you won't let him touch your life, if you won't let him change your life, he'll let you keep going the route you're going. 
but He won't let you go that way without warning you. And I'm so thankful for that. Yes, He interferes in our lives. Oh, the unbeliever says He'll interfere in my life. What accusation bring you before Him? The modernist accuses Him. They say He was a good man. He was a good man. Oh, but He was wrong when He claimed to be the Son of God. He was a good man. He was a prophet. He was this or that, but He was wrong when He claimed to be the Son of God. Listen to me, Mr. Modernist. He cannot be a good man, a good prophet, a good teacher, and a liar at the same time. Good men are not liars. Good preachers are not liars. Good teachers are not liars. And Jesus can't be claiming to be the Son of God on one hand and be a good teacher but not the Son of God on the other hand. One or the other is possible. But both cannot be so. He is either who He claimed to be or He's an absolute imposter. He's either who He claimed to be or He's a total phony. Let me tell you, maybe you've not proved to you that the proof is in the pudding. I know what it is to taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is a man that trusteth in Him. What accusation bring you against Him? I say I find no fault in Him. He's altogether lovely. He's a fair to 10,000 in my soul. He's a cluster of comfort. He's a rose of Sharon. He's the lily of the valley. He's the bright and morning star. He's the dearest friend I ever had. He's the lover of my soul. He's my best friend and my Savior. Oh, thank God. He's my Savior. He's my soul cleanser. He's my baptizer in the Holy Ghost. He is my companion. Every day between here and glory, I say hallelujah. I have nothing to accuse him of. He's never done anything but good. Nothing but good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And if I'd have left off that last biscuit, I could preach without getting the next breath. Hallelujah. But since I ate that last biscuit, I'm going to have to get a drink of water and a breath. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> oh, Tony Hudson, if I was him, I'd just drink that whole bottle. It says 45 minutes more preaching. Y'all can't handle that much more, and I don't know if I can either. Oh, what accusation bring you against this man? Question number two in verse number 33. He says, Are you or art thou the king of the Jews? <laughs> Oh, Pilate wanted to know, are you a king? Hey, 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 Jesus is a king. But Pilate wondered about a rival. Hear me, Pilate didn't have a rival before him. Jesus is not Pilate's rival. Jesus is not President Trump's rival. Jesus is not a rival to have potentates like Putin. Have my friend of the pot-bellied dictator in North Korea. Hey, he is not a rival to the communist Chinese. Matter of fact, they're not even in his league. Amen. Hallelujah. He's a king. But his kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom doesn't rival any of this world. But it supersedes all the kingdoms of this world. The kingdom of this time is in the hearts of men. You see, Jesus is not going to be king. He's already king. He's my king. I'll praise.
Jesus his dear name he is the king of glory and he's the king of my life but there will come a time when he sets up rule and reign over the whole world this world system opposes God and refuses the Lord Jesus this world system in this day has sought to kill God well, of course they couldn't kill God Jesus said no man takes my life from me I have the power to lay it down I got the power to take it up again they couldn't kill God this world system still has seeks to kill God the reason this crowd hates America is because western civilization they hate they hate western civilization because of those that founded it they hate those that founded it because of the God they serve ultimately my friend the crowd that's tearing statues down do not hate the statues they hate God but they can't get their hands on him but I'm telling you one of these days he's going to get his hand on them and judgment is coming and ain't nobody getting by with anything I'm telling you he's a king he's a punting he's a ruler and he's absolutely going to rule Hallelujah. This world system opposes God. The spirit of the age is a spirit that is eaten up with rebellion. Are you listening to me this morning? The average person, their problem is they got rebellion in them the size of King Kong. The spirit of the age is a spirit that is eaten up with rebellion. We got a bunch of young people. My wife calls them teenagers. Anybody younger than us is teenagers. We got a bunch of young people in our land. Teenagers, you know, some of them 30 years old. But some of them 30 years old and in their mind they're about 12. And they needed leather therapy somewhere or another growing up. Y'all know what leather therapy is, don't you? Some of y'all's old is what I am and older knows what it is. Had to have a, y'all have a therapy session with a leather belt or a razor strop. Have my friend or a plow line. Have a good hickory switch. Have my friend for her mom. Have your mama to take off her flip flop. And wear you out good with it. Amen. And some of these youngins, hey, in our day, is eat up with rebellion because they needed somebody to love them when they were small and to correct them when they were wrong and to show them the way to go right. And they're mad at God and they're mad at religion and they're mad at everything that's right. You You may topple a statue. But you will not dethrone God. They're angry at the establishment. Amen. They're angry at every authority. But I'm telling you there is one authority that's not shaken because of it. Hallelujah. I'm going to say something relatively controversial here. And I know y'all are surprised by that. But I'm going to say it anyhow. Mayor de Blasio in New York, who's an idiot, by the way, bona fide USDA certified grade A idiot. Mayor de Blasio in New York may be scared to death by the mask wearing thugs in our society who seek to topple all power. But God has not even taken a baby aspirin worried about that crowd and their attitude. One of these days, 
My friend, he will throw down and take down and take down every evil, rebellious spirit that has been birthed in the hearts of men. Amen. Amen. And it will not be reserved for thugs on the street, but there will be many sat in the church pew who shook their face, had their fists in the face of God Almighty and said, my baptism is enough and my church membership is enough and my Sunday school attendance is enough and being a Baptist is enough and my friend, they've rebelled against God and they said, art thou a king? And one day King Jesus will come back with a crown on his head and a horse beneath him and the thousands of glory riding by his side and a banner on him that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords and he'll put down every force of rebellion that ever came against him. Hallelujah. Is anybody listening to the preacher? Art thou a king? Yeah, he's a king. Who is your king this morning? The world... Satan or God? He says to them, Pilate does, shall I crucify your king? They said, we have no king but Caesar. I choose the world, they say. The religious leaders said, we choose the world. Who is your king this morning? Satan the world or God? They said, give us Caesar. Give us the world. And Caesar's what they got, friend. And when they, Caesar was done with them, there was a spear through their bellies. And approximately 70 years later, Titus and his armies would come through the city of Jerusalem and plow the city under with brute force. They asked for Caesar. And that's what they got. You want this world? You don't want Jesus interfering in your life? You'll get what you ask for. When this world is done with you, they will chew you up and spit you out and have no pity. Have no pity. Is anybody listening to the preacher? What accusation bring you against this man? Art thou a king? Number three. What is truth? What is truth? Jesus is guiding the conversation as Pilate asks questions. And he says, art thou king? <laughs> Jesus says, my kingdom's not this world. My kingdom were this world, my servants would fight. He said, thou sayest I'm a king. To the sin was I born, for this cause came out in the world. I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth, heareth my voice. Pilate says, what is truth? This is something Pilate had sought after for quite a while. Being a Roman, he was well versed in the psychological and philosophical arguments of the Greco-Roman society. Being an elite member of Roman uh, uh, rule and of Roman society, he had been exposed to and schooled in the thoughts of men that had stood at Mars Hill and argued about lofty ideas. Some of them, the Bible says, came there repeatedly just to hear or to tell of some new thing. They were always just debating new fangled ideas. Pilate, like many today, was confused about the truth. There are really in this world, Brother Tom, three classes of people. Three classes of people. 
There is the atheist, there is the skeptic, and there is the believer. The atheist says, I don't believe there is any God. I don't believe there is any truth. I don't believe there is any judgment. There is nothing. He is an evolutionist. He's a socialist. He's a humanist. His real God is self or the power of man's collective abilities. Such a mindset is not only wrong, it is anti-Christ. My friend, that is an atheist. And then there is the skeptic. The skeptic says, I don't know what the truth is. I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. I wish I could know. I do not know. I am not sure. I am torn. What is truth? Nobody can know. Just live and forget it. But the skeptic wants to know and is tormented. Most of the world are skeptics who wish they could know and trust and believe in God. Years ago when I was a teenage boy, just a teenage preacher boy, I sat down with a man very well educated far beyond what I am now, let alone what I was as a 15, 16 year old preacher boy trying to witness to him. Tell him about Jesus. Talk to him about the Lord. I told him if he'd just trust in the Lord with all his heart, cast his care on the Lord, ask God to save him, that the Lord would save him. I said that all the Bible had told us is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Seems so simple to me. He with his analytical mind looked back at me not out of meanness nor out of malice but sincerely said to me I don't know that I believe. I've never had anybody tell me that before. A man raised in church. His father was a deacon. One of the best. One of the best. One of the most faithful men I ever knew. He said I don't know if I do believe. And I was dumbfounded. I mean, how do you start with somebody that thinks that there is no truth or is such a skeptic that they have a hard time believing in any kind of truth? Who looks everything in the, uh, at everything with a, a mind of skepticism? And I left off of the conversation with him much that way. About 10 years passed before he got born again. Now he is himself a deacon and the treasurer and the adult Sunday school teacher at one of the finest Baptist churches in the area. He's no longer a skeptic, but now he's a witness. This world's really divided into three categories. The atheist who says there is no truth. The skeptic who says, I don't know what the truth is. And the believer. And the believer is not perfect, but he has trusted in Jesus. And Jesus is truth when we are liars. Jesus is righteous when we're unrighteous. Jesus is holy when we are unholy. Jesus is pleasing to God when we have displeased Him. Jesus is lovable when we are unlovable. Jesus brought me out of my clay. He puts joy in my soul. Somebody said, I sure don't want to act like you act. Well, if you have what I have, 
then you can act like I act. Now, praise God, you need to know this Jesus that lives God in my heart. There is no truth in the philosophies in this world. Shintoism offers no truth. Eastern philosophy, Chinese proverbs, Hinduism, Buddhism, intellectualism, communism, Marxism, racism cannot tell the truth because it does not even know the truth. But Jesus is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can of the Father but by me. And Jesus is the truth. What is the truth? Question number four. Whence art thou? Chapter 19. Their interview continues. Verse number nine. And went again in the judgment hall and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Where'd you come from? It's a very good question for Pilate to ask. It means more than what you think. It means more than what I think. If I ask you where you come from, you'd say, well, you know, I, I've lived here all my life. And they say around here, you know, West Georgia. And, you know, my, my folks from Paulden County and Douglas County, maybe from Mount Zion, West, you know, over on the, around West Georgia area. Maybe, oh, some of you might even claim Buncombe or or Clem, I mean all kinds of places. I've been, you know, around here my whole life. Or, our, you know, my ancestors, they moved in, you know, from Tennessee. Former generations lived up there. Brother Tom is a Yankee, and he stays cold all the time. It's like he got so cold while he was up there living in Wisconsin. Growing up that he never warmed back up when it got down here. That first time, I think, in my whole life today, I heard him say it was warm. A while ago, while he was up under the trees out there teaching Sunday school outside, he said, it's kind of hot out here. I thought it must be if Tom tells us it's hot it's hot I mean all year long man's running around with long held underwear on having them long sleeve insulated shirts and all this stuff I'm telling you friend how when we say where'd you come from it doesn't mean much when Pilate says whence art thou that is to say unto him I know all the royalty of Rome you didn't come from there I'd have known who you are I know all the religious leaders in Jerusalem you're not one of them or I would know who you are. I have served as a magistrate and a judge for all of these and to be insurrectionists I like Barabbas. I know who all the terrorists are and you're not one of them. Where did you come from anyway? Whence art thou? As a matter of fact, I get the feeling that he does not believe this fellow standing here is a my friend a king or a potentate or an insurrectionist Oh no, he's wondering, did you come from Mount Olympus? Did you come from the clouds? Did you come from the gods? I believe he's asking him, are you really of this world? Did you come from planet Earth? Or did you come from somewhere else? I mean, he's trembling. Where exactly did you come from, mister? His wife said, I've suffered many things this night of it in a dream because of him. Somebody said, yeah, but these ladies, they get tore up pretty easy. This ain't the average woman. Claudia spent 10 years with Pilate while he is ruling in the middle of a war zone. And she didn't have to. They had to get special waiver from Rome to give her permission to be there. Either she's a real jealous wife. 
Y'all help me out now. And would not let her husband go rule without her there to supervise. Or else she's a very brave soul, one of the two, and maybe a little bit of both. She's seen insurrectionists rise and fall. She stood in the palace of kings and potentates. Buddy, she had never had any of them invade her dreams and confront her. Oh, my friend, with the fear of God. Like Pilate, she didn't choose this, but she's confronted with Jesus. Like Pilate, she didn't choose this, but she's confronted with the Messiah. Like you this morning, she didn't choose this, but she's standing eye to eye, face to face, toe to toe, with Jesus Christ, and knows not what to do with Him, but she can't bear to oppose this man called Jesus. Whence art thou? This is the key and it's what really matters. Pilate's uncomfortable. It's an admission that Pilate was not so sure that Jesus was of this world and he was not. John chapter 8, Jesus told his opposition that they didn't know him because they knew not his father. And Jesus came from his father. He was God manifest in the flesh. Pilate was really asking, are you a God? And the answer is yes. <laughs> not, even, not only is he God, not only is he a God, he's the God. Amen. Four hundred prophets of Baal danced on the altar, cut themselves with stones. Said, oh, Baal, send the fire. Oh, Baal, send the fire. But when Elijah prayed and the fire came down and consumed the altar and the sacrifice, all the people fell on their faces. And they didn't say the Lord is a God. They said the Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. Oh, bless His dear name. Whence are thou I came from my father and if you knew my father you'd know me and the works of my father will I do I tell you he is the God whence art thou number five today chapter 15 verse number chapter 19 verse number 15 cried out away with him away with him Shall I crucify your king? He asked. Behold, your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Matthew 27, 22, Pilate says it this way. What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called the Christ? Barabbas and Jesus are there that day. Pilate says that he would release one of them unto them. Barabbas is a thief. He's an insurrectionist. Barabbas is a dirty crook and a liar. Barabbas represents the world and everything the world has to offer. And then there's the Christ, the Lord Jesus, precious and lowly, humble and perfect. Amen. And he represents all that is right and just in heaven. And he presents this to this religious ruling mob. And he says, what will you then that I should do unto the Christ? They said, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. 
This morning when you choose the flesh over salvation, when you choose your way over God's way, you are saying, give me the world and crucify Jesus. Give me the world. Give me Caesar. Give me Barabbas. And away with Jesus. What will you do with the Christ today? You seated in the pew. You're a deacon's kid, a preacher's kid. A church member. You're a choir singer. You attend Truth Baptist Church. You tell folks in town, Oh, I, I go to the church where that preacher really preaches the Word of God. You realize that won't save you if you will not receive the Word that I'm preaching this morning. I can preach it till my throat is ruined and my voice is gone and my liver turns inside out and my gallbladder is busted. But unless you receive with meekness the engrafted Word which is able to save your souls and become a doer of the Word, you will not be saved. What will you do with Jesus, the one called the Christ? They chose Barabbas and cried, Crucify Christ! Verse number 25, chapter 27 of Matthew, verse 25, they said, His blood be on us and on our children. Give me two minutes and I'm finished this evening. I have been to the Holocaust Museum. Sonia was there with me. It's been almost 20 years ago now. We've been to the Holocaust Museum. You know what it is to go into that upper building and begin through the events of the Jewish Holocaust to see the photos in that place from Poland and France and Germany and Russia and Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia, Bulgaria, Romania, Auschwitz and Treblinka. I know what it is to have seen the photos of sunken faces and starved Jews, sacks of bones and mass graves, our crowds loaded in the train cars to haul to their deaths piles of human skeletons as high as this building. 11 million Jews gassed, shot, starved, run through with swords, poisoned. Seen the videos with my own eyes, World War II actual footage from Auschwitz where they would take them and line them up, men, women, and children, elderly and children, in front of the firing squads and just blow their heads off and kill them. I've watched some of the little ones just fall off into the mass graves, piles of their relatives stacked up like cordwoods and the little babies just dive off in there with them, shot or not, just to be where mom and dad is knowing that their life was going to be snuffed out. Is everybody listening to the preaching this morning? And these Jews stood before Pilate and said, crucify him and let his blood be upon us and upon our children. Talk about heartbreaking. Oh, how it's heartbreaking to see them alone. I'm talking about seeing their faces sunk in from starvation so far 
that you could see the outline of their teeth coming out of their head. You could see it in their face. Their skin was so thin. I have a fat face. Thick jaws. Easy for them little old ladies to come by the door and grab me and shake my jaws. But my friend, they had uh, faces sunken in. Their fingers so small. They were like bones and hardly had enough skin to cover them. Shirts off and left naked, laying in the floor, had their bare feet, and how uh, you could count their ribs and their bodies down to nothing. And cruel people are taking pleasure into snuffing out their lives. And when I saw those pictures, and saw those scenes, some nearly 20 years ago, and my wife and I, I walked through that Holocaust Museum. I thought about these words may his blood be on us and on our children oh my soul God have mercy on a generation of people that refuses Christ that rejects the Lord Jesus that will not have Christ in their lives we got to the end of the tour of that Holocaust Museum I have the I have the documents at home. I looked at it on yesterday. I have a picture of a pair of little bronzed baby shoes about this long taken from one of the babies that was killed no bigger than that little one right there that Brother Tom's holding just for the fun of murdering them. And they bronzed that baby's shoes as a trophy for the child they had killed. That Jewish baby. And up under it are printed the words from Matthew chapter 27. May his blood be upon us and upon our children. What will you do with this man called the Christ? I don't know if anybody's listening to preaching today. But if you refuse Christ Jesus while the Lord of glory is calling on your heart, it'd be a mighty foolish decision to make. You see, it's Jesus or hell. It is Jesus or darkness. It is Jesus or death. These are the questions that you must answer. Come with a song, please. Listen to me this morning. You can choose to hit him again in the face with a resounding no. You can shove the thorns down more deeply on his face. You can revile him, reject him, and ignore him. Or you can accept him and you can embrace him. And you can say, yes, Jesus, I want you in my life. Thirty pieces of silver was the price they paid. Thirty pieces of silver, the price of a slave. My heart have I given to Christ betrayed. Thirty pieces of silver, the price of a slave. Will you betray him, call for Barabbas in the world? Or will you embrace Christ as your eternal Savior? This morning you've not been given the option by the Holy Ghost of 
standing on the outside looking in. The Spirit of God is dealing with your heart. The God of glory has come face to face with you and you are confronted with the reality of Jesus. And these are the questions you must answer. Eternity is calling your name. And now is the time to get things right with God. Everybody stand, please. Folks need to pray. Sinners need to be saved. Saved folks, saints of God ought to be praying earnestly that God does a mighty work. Oh, precious God, deal with the hearts of people. Sweet Holy Ghost, move among us. If the Lord of glory is drawing you, if you even sense the faintest hint of a still small voice today, calling you to repentance, I beg you to come to this altar and let us pray with you and pray for you. Call on the Lord. Sister Tanya's going to sing. Folks are praying, many of them praying for you if you're lost. I'd invite you to come and pray. Do business with the Lord. Ask Him in your heart.